Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 8th, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unedited, unscripted, and for right now, uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. Lewis is away this week. You remember him saying a couple weeks ago on the show that he was going off hunting, and that is where he is right now. He is out in the woods as we speak. So all the best of luck to Lewis out there. Hopefully he is able to come home with a potential deep freeze full of nice, delicious wild steaks. And that might just make me take a road trip to the Okanagan to have supper one night. Well, maybe not. That's a long ways to go for a steak supper. But you know what I'm saying. All right. On the show today, much ado about nothing. Maxime Bernier lives to fight another day. What the hell, Ontario? And more. So to start the show today, actually something that we don't do on this show very often, and thankfully we don't have to, I uh, I want to dedicate this, this show today to the memory of an old friend. Uh, I was actually planning on putting this show on last night for you, and literally as I was making notes for the show, I received news that an old friend from my childhood had passed away at 52 years of age, and only two years older than myself, so... To me, that's quite young and makes me think about my own mortality, of course, as these events always do when when they happen. And, you know, getting to that age now where we start to lose more people than, than we gain in life. And, yep, I'd been friends with this man since I was in grade seven. And just on a personal note, when I moved to a new school in grade seven and, and met this man... Him and his brother actually treated me very, very well when a lot of other folks in the school were bullying me because I was the new kid in a very small community. So uh, lots of reasons not to forget him. He's a great guy, and the world is worse off without him. So I just want to dedicate this show to my friend Wayne. Uh, Hope you have a speedy journey into the next world, sir. And... Well, we hope to meet up again one day. All right. That said, let us start by talking about our good friend, Omicron. Well, that sure didn't work out the way they thought, did it? We've got more border restrictions, increased testing requirements, more restrictions, travel bans, threats of fines, quarantines for a strain of the virus that, well, by all accounts, is no worse than the common cold. Yes, you heard that right. This deadly Omicron, which I reported on our last show, as I was already starting to suspect the case is what I'm reporting today, on our last show when I said that the virus may be more deadly than the lost strain and may be, you know, 
or sorry, our vaccines may not be effective against it. As it turns out, that doesn't really seem to matter because the data we're getting so far from South Africa, which is where this began, is that any of the, vic the victims who have caught this particular strain seem to exhibit cold-like symptoms. Yes, like common cold. And you know what? The common cold is a coronavirus, so this is not really unusual. And there's been nobody so far that has died from Omicron. So maybe they should have called it G. Maybe they should have just said, yes, this is the Xi or, or G strain instead of skipping the letters to Omicron because then they could have said, see, G's not going to hurt you. Frankly, I've had enough of pandering to China, but you heard that in the last episode. So Omicron looks like we were panicking over nothing because there has not been a single death to Omicron. And I haven't actually heard of hospitalizations, but obviously if victims are just exhibiting cold-like symptoms, there likely isn't a lot of hospitalization due to Omicron. But what do we have? Mass panic, fear, Oh, the media wants you to be afraid of Omicron. Did they ever want you to be afraid? And we listened to some of the weekend talk shows from last weekend. And, oh, well, we don't know enough about this, so we got to make certain we go full communist. Well, not quite full communist, but you know what I'm saying? Travel bans from 12 different countries. And, oh, my God, it's here. It's here. It's a case in Ontario and in Quebec and Alberta. And you all need to be afraid. We need to lock down again. Well, well, at the very least, we certainly need to increase our testing requirements. And ever notice how quickly the government can implement these testing requirements, these restrictions on travel, and the quarantines and isolation, but they seem pretty slow to remove those sorts of things. I'll wrap that thought up in a moment. So here's what the, what the government's new measures are doing to us. So yes, now when you want to go to the United States, and that was a United States thing, they said, okay, well, it's no longer a 72-hour PCR test is now a 24-hour PCR test, meaning you have to have a PCR test within 24 hours of crossing the border at your own expense, which is about 250 bucks per test. Well, that's a good way to discourage travel. Just think if you're a family of four, there's a thousand bucks just to, to test, to go across the border into the United States. And then to come back to Canada, well, you'll have to do it again. So then let's spend another thousand bucks for that family of four just to come back. So is that worth an extra $2,000? Well, maybe can the average Canadian family who is $200 or less away from bankruptcy afford $2,000 on top of whatever their vacation expenses are? Most likely not. So they've cut off 
the average middle-class family from traveling with these heavy-handed restrictions and heavy-handed reactions. There's an elderly couple in the Okanagan, as one example, and this was posted up on Dan Albus' Facebook page. Dan Albus is a member of parliament in the Okanagan Valley. Because this elderly couple went across the border to the States for a day or for a, a small vacation and did not have a smartphone, which, well, I, having some elderly relatives, I, I get because I have an 84-year-old uncle who doesn't even have a cell phone, period, let alone a smartphone. And to, he doesn't even have internet, for that matter. So there's an elderly couple in the Okanagan who went across to the States, came back up and got themselves the, the, the necessary COVID testing as they were told they had to do. And they were told, yep, as long as you've got the paper copy of these tests showing that, that you're negative and you're okay, come on home. So they come on home with their negative tests. And what does our illustrious bureau, bureaucrat over bureaucratized government tell this family, this family, this couple, oh, well, you need to have the Arrive Can app on your smartphone. Sir, we don't have a smartphone. You have to have one. If you don't have the, the your health information on the Arrive Can app, we can't process it and you're, you'll, you'll, you're going to have to quarantine. But we have our paper records of our vaccination and our negative tests right here being told by your very government that this is okay. Oh, well, I can just picture the scenario. I don't know who you talk to, but nope, you have to have the Arrive Can app. Well, can't have the Arrive Can app if they don't have a smartphone. But because bureaucrats are, I'm not going to say heartless thugs, but because bureaucrats are heartless thugs and often drunk on their own power, I'm not saying all bureaucrats, but a lot of them, drunk on their own power, will say, oh, these are the rules, you need to comply. So now this elderly couple is going to be forced to go home and quarantine for whatever the necessary period is, likely three days until they come back with an, a negative test, which they already had before they came in. But because they don't have the Arrive Can app, ridiculous and who else do we have affected well a lady flew into toronto who has celiac disease and celiac of course affects your gastrointestinal tract she got shoved into a quarantine hotel and spent 40 hours without food because the hotel whoops they forgot to bring her any meals 40 hours. Now, maybe some of us could go two days without food. I don't think any of us would want to. And someone who's already got a medical condition that is known to the authorities and has a special diet that she needs in order to cope with, with said condition should never, ever be forced to go 40 hours without a meal. Way to go, Canada. Way to go.
you know, I'm reminded, and I actually appreciate that Evan Solomon did bring this up when he had interviewed Omar Al-Gabra, the transport minister, last weekend when these restrictions and quarantines and et cetera were being introduced. And he asked, like, okay, are we going to see hotels that don't have locks on the doors again? Are we going to see, you know, some of the same mistakes made that were made in the first wave with these quarantine hotels? Oh, no, Evan, we have learned from, from our mistakes. You have? Well, then why is it this poor woman is stuck in a Toronto hotel, a government quarantine hotel that she has to pay for and can't even get fed? Why are we being forced to get a PCR test at the border that we have to pay for and then still being forced to test again and being forced to quarantine and being forced to show what our plans are. Whatever happened to, we're going to follow the science and the science is telling you that Omicron is a bust. And I'm sure the folks in the media are absolutely beside themselves over this because they probably were hoping, Oh, if, Good Lord, for sure, we're going to be able to instill some fear and stoke the fear in our population over this new deadly variant that is no worse than the common cold at this point. Oh, but it could get worse. Yeah, but if it does, you'll go on to the next letter of the Greek alphabet, providing that one doesn't sound similar to anything that has anything to do with China, because you wouldn't want to offend China so then we, of course, will move on to another letter of the Greek alphabet and hope that we can stoke some fear into our population with that. You know, it's ridiculous, the hysteria that continues over this Wuhan virus. Oh, I know you got to say COVID-19, Tony. No, I don't. No, I'll, I'll say the Wuhan virus. Thank you very much. And if China doesn't like it, well, they can boycott me. They can uh, bar me from entry into their country because I never plan on going there anyway. How about that? So uh, recently, and we shared this article on our Facebook uh, page a few days ago, the federal health minister, uh, Duclos, had said that the current health measures and restrictions, testing requirements, et cetera, could go on for months, even years. And that's a quote, by the way. They, they could go on for months or even years. Well, if you're following the science, as everybody continues to say, we're all about the science, how can you predict that? Because, of course, science is constantly changing and science demands to be questioned. Except if you're someone in the government and you're trying to sound smart and you're trying to say, oh, yes, we're all about science. Well, I guess you're just assuming that the rest of us are as dumb as you are in government because the rest of us understand that scientific theory is something where this, and I, I learned this in like grade 10, that scientific theory is a theory that anybody in the world should be able to follow and come out with the same results. And that's not always happening with this whole Wuhan virus rage. And we see that because, look, 
The science told us Omicron was going to be deadly or could be deadly. So you should be living fear. The data has shown us that Omicron is one big nothing burger. Unless, of course, you think that the common cold is going to kill you because the cold-like symptoms that current victims are exhibiting and recovering from in a couple of days, which is what the data has shown us from South Africa. Yeah, it's much ado about nothing, isn't it? So then I have to start asking myself when you hear Monsieur Duclos talk about health measures going on for months or even years, is this still about the Wuhan virus? Is this still about COVID or is this continuing to be about control? What do you mean, Tony? How, how could you think such a thing? Well, let's look at how the unvaccinated in Canadian society are being stigmatized. In the word anti-vaxxer not only has Merriam-Webster Dictionary expanded the meaning, their meaning, I should say, of an anti-vaxxer, the word anti-vaxxer itself is really starting to gain the status of a racial slur, in my humble opinion. And Merriam-Webster, it's uh, it's actually kind of comical. They have expanded the, the definition of anti-vaxxer to include those who are against vaccine mandates. Now, that I think is really, really odd um, because there are people who have had their, their two shots of the, of the vaccine. Lewis and I are among those who still believe that people in this country need to have the freedom to make that choice for themselves if they need to have that vaccine or not. And there are many people who have chosen not to, and I support their choice. I support their choice full on, and I don't care to know either way. Now, I've made this point on the show before that it, one way to get me really angry is for these talking heads to come out in front of a camera all smug and self-assured and say, I want to make it clear that I am fully vaccinated. You know what? I don't care. I don't care if you're fully vaccinated. I don't care if you know that I am because I'm not trumpeting it around like it's some kind of a trophy because... I didn't do it because I'm trying to protect my fellow citizens. I did it because I like to go out to breakfast. And with restrictions that we've got, even here in Saskatchewan, you can't even go inside a restaurant unless you can prove you've, you've got your two shots. You can't even go inside a liquor store here in Saskatchewan without showing you've had your shots. And I was stunned because I don't make a lot of trips to the liquor store, but when I went in there... And I was told I had to show my, my proof. I said, are you serious for a place where I'm going in and back out again, just like I would in a grocery store where I don't have to show that? Apparently, yes. But <laughs> there's more. There's always more. In some jurisdictions in Canada, and I'm looking at you, New Brunswick, you can't go into a grocery store without proof of vaccination. Again, you still think this is about a virus? 
if you don't comply with what the government has told you to do, well, starve. You can't go into a grocery store. Yes, I know that there are grocery stores that do offer delivery options, and that's likely an option in New Brunswick. I don't know that it is. I know that it certainly is here, so I don't see why it wouldn't be in New Brunswick, but certainly wouldn't be in the more rural and remote areas because there just could not, wouldn't be a market to make that uh, a viable option. So it's, it's really sad how people who've made the choice not to get the vaccines are becoming the lepers of modern day society. They're being denied basic fundamental freedoms such as, well, feeding your family. There are people who are losing their jobs because of vaccination status. And it's not even the fact if they don't have the shots, even if they just don't want to tell their employers they have the shots, For as an example, people can lose their jobs. And you don't want to prove your, show your proof of vaccination, which is your personal medical history to that random stranger. Well, you're denied entry. And I saw an interesting social media post from a RCMP officer or an alleged RCMP officer, because I don't know that the person really is, and saying that, well, if I need to, if I want to find out your personal medical history, I have to go to a judge, give them good reason why I need that, and then get a warrant in order to make that investigation. And he said, concluded his post, so I have less power than the waitress at, at the restaurant that you've gone to who demands that same information with no warrant and no investigation and no making your case in front of a judge. Do we still think this is about a virus, by the way? I, I, I just have to keep asking that. And now there's talk about denying health services to people who have not gotten both of their shots. Now, again, this is information that is supposed to be between you and your doctor. And if indeed this is happening, and I have heard that this is happening, if people are being denied health services because of vaccination status, I'm speechless. I cannot believe that the people in this country would be denying medical services, which is in Canada, pretty much akin to a human right, because we have universal access to healthcare guaranteed in the constitution of this country. The new constitution brought in by Pierre Elliott Trudeau back in 1982, that, you know, healthcare is, it's essentially a Canadian right. I mean, it's not, a legal right in Canada to have healthcare, but they, but it is actually a, a legal bind on healthcare providers that they cannot refuse treatment to, to anyone. And now they've decided, well, obviously arbitrarily, facility to facility, that, yep, yeah, we can deny services to you anti-vaxxers because it is you anti-vaxxers who are responsible for the destruction of our healthcare system. You and I, Canada, know that isn't true. But what we also see, and this really disturbs me, and Lewis and I have, have talked about this before too, is that 
the majority of Canadians, if you believe the polls, actually support this idea, these kind of ideas. They actually are in favor of punishing those anti-vaxxers, punishing those people who have decided to exercise their freedom to make that choice for their own situation. And Canadians want to punish them. Canadians seem to think that that's, and I'm just saying the majority of Canadians that have been polled seem to think that's actually a good thing to force people to get vaccinations by making their lives as uncomfortable as possible, by refusing to allow them to participate in a society that they have contributed to, a society which they have helped to build. But nope, because we said so, because we are following the science, as they always say, and these anti-vaxxers are obviously anti-science, they should be denied the basic freedoms and liberties that the rest of us enjoy. Again, do we still think this is about a virus or is it really about control? Ridiculous. All right, moving on to a happier subject to uh, for the middle of the show. And I won't stay on this one very long, but Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, and we mentioned this on a show about a month ago, was was putting himself up for a leadership review. Now, I'd mentioned the process on that show about a month ago that the voting was going to take place between November 13th and December 2nd. And all people who were members of the People's Party on or before election night of September 20th, 2021, were eligible to vote for a leadership review. and. There was a simple, straightforward question put forth. You know, do you, should the People's Party of Canada engage in a review of Maxime Bernier's leadership? I don't know exact, the exact wording, but that was effectively the question. And, well, it has been shown that Mr. Bernier has the overwhelming support of party membership. 95.6% support to keep Maxime Bernier on. So that means... 95.6% of the votes were against a leadership review. So I think any leader of any political party in the country would love to see that kind of a number because that is absolutely unheard of. And what makes me laugh is that the mainstream media in Canada, and we all know the mainstream media are just propaganda arms for the Liberal Party of Canada. And Pierre Polyev actually points that out in an interview he did with Candace Malcolm, how, well, him and Candace both talked about how you've got the Ottawa Press Gallery that covers Parliament, and the CBC, of course, is the largest contingent, which is directly funded by you and I, the taxpayer, and then how the CBC then hires other reporters to come on to their television shows and talk politics. And of course, that is they, they, they pay them, apparently they pay very well. And they use our taxpayer dollars to pay these people who, of course, want that money. So they will tow the CBC pro-Liberal Party of Canada line. And then you've got the other mainstream media out, outlets who are funded by 
our $600 million media bail, bailout, courtesy of the taxpayer. And of course, not wanting to fall off of that gravy train, the mainstream media will, of course, tow the Liberal Party of Canada line. So basically what you have in the Ottawa bubble is a whole crew of journalists covering the House of Commons, covering the Ottawa beat, being the national politics watchers, all of whom are in the pockets of the Liberal Party of Canada, utilizing yours and my taxpayer dollars to get the Liberal message out there as much as possible. And honestly, the way the Parliament looks right now, the Liberal message is everybody's message. And that's why they've done their best to try to minimize this overwhelming vote of support for Maxime Bernier because Maxime Bernier is the only party leader and the People's Party of Canada is the only party that actually offers up anything different to what you have in Ottawa. And it's easy for you to see that, Canada. And we, and we share a number of videos on our Facebook page as well to show you how there really isn't any difference between Justin Trudeau and Aaron O'Toole. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is quite happy to say he's a liberal in a blue suit. I mean, everything he does is to try to please the, the, the Ottawa media. Say, see, like me. I'm, I'm just like Trudeau. Go ahead, like me, because I'm like Trudeau, so Canadians can vote for me. And, of course, Trudeau, well, just continues to goad him to, to be more like Trudeau. And he does. Aaron O'Toole takes that bait every time. So, of course, they're threatened by Maxime Bernier because he actually shows a contrast. If only Aaron O'Toole could have done that, well, maybe he could have been prime minister. So it's uh, it's comical for me to watch the mainstream media write off Mr. Bernier. And there was uh, that CPAC podcast I've referred to on the show before where one of their talking heads was saying, well, I mean, yeah, he would have got some support from anti-vaxxers during the election, but but really, what what hill is he going to die on next? Like, well, if you took a minute to think about the policies that Mr. Bernier had put forth, both in 2019, before the pandemic, and again in 2021, because they were the same policies, then suddenly you'd see that, oh, well, Mr. Bernier actually would have help fight inflation by breaking up the dairy cartel, for example, who are pushing for their 16% increase on dairy products, even though they've already got inflated prices when you look at the comparison to the United States. Well, Mr. Bernier actually was talking about energy independence for Canada instead of shutting down the, the, the energy sector and importing 700,000 barrels of oil per day, per day from Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, those human rights beacons in the world. And again, uh, we shared a video on our Facebook page a few days ago of Pierre Polyev on the east coast of New Brunswick and pointing out there was a tanker coming in with some of that 700,000 barrels a day that we import when we've got that oil in the ground in this country and 
Again, polling, and this poll was done by the Montreal Economic Institute, showing that Quebecers, average Quebecers, people like you and I, the citizens who go out there and actually work and get the economy going in Quebec, they wish to see oil, Canadian oil, in their refineries. They would say if we can't get oil from Quebec, we want Western Canadian oil because we don't want to import oil from other countries. And as Pierre Polyev put it, well, that would be would mean jobs for us and contributing to our own economy instead of sending our money overseas for dirtier oil with higher emissions than Canadian oil. But anyway, I digress. It's it's comical to me to watch the mainstream media try to dismiss Maxime Bernier as much as possible. But then you realize that they have to. They have to not only because they are being encouraged to do so by their liberal puppet masters, but they have to because Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada represent a threat to their comfortable little bubble and a threat to their way of life. If Maxime Bernier actually does gain prominence on the Canadian political scene, and the signs are that uh, his party is growing and the momentum will continue into the next election, whatever that will be, that poses a real threat to the existence of some of these media outlets because Maxime Bernier hasn't been shy about letting them know that their days are indeed numbered because he won't subsidize them with yours and my taxpayer dollars. So I, uh, I say to you folks in the mainstream media, go ahead and mock Maxime Bernier, but do so at your own peril, because uh, he will very likely make you feel sorry for it without even trying. He'll just cut off the money flow. All right, we have got about 10 more minutes, so that should give us some time to talk about what the hell is going on in Ontario right now. Um, I think I might actually have to change the name of your province. It's a beautiful province. I love you. I love going through Ontario. But I believe I'm going to have to change the name to woke Terrio. And what's happening in woke Terrio right now? Well, let's start with the Ontario Liberal Party. There's a provincial election coming up fairly soon in uh, Ontario in 2022. The Ontario Liberals, who don't even have official party status in the Ontario legislature right now, seven seats, have decided, well, their bold, innovative plan to show how woke they are is they have earmarked 22 ridings across Ontario where they will only allow female candidates to contest the nomination process. Well, that's very woke off the bat. Bear in mind, there's 121 ridings in Ontario. So we're not talking about a large percentage of the ridings. We're talking like less than 20%. So it's symbolic at best, but I just, uh, well, I don't even question the motives because, of course, they're just trying to be proof to show how woke they are and how much more woke they are than the NDP, who is official opposition, so that they can, I guess, maybe regain official party status or actually 
try to be noticed more. But what troubles me with this, and I guess to their credit, they have spread these writings around us. So it's not just writings where they have no hope of winning a seat anyway. I mean, there are some Toronto writings, there are some rural writings where they have done this policy. But Lewis and I are very much egalitarians. We, uh, we make, you know, absolutely no secret that we are libertarian conservatives who believe in freedom and equality and, well, just want to want people to be left alone. So the egalitarian side of me says, what if we just tried this radical idea where you let anybody who is a member of the party by a certain date contest a nomination? Anybody female, male, non-binary, that's a thing nowadays, and black, white, indigenous, East Asian, Central Asian, South Asian, African, whatever. Let anybody who feels that they want to contest that nomination to become a candidate and has met the criteria by holding a membership by a certain date contest that nomination. Anybody. Let anybody who wants to get out there and pound the pavement and sell those memberships and go campaign and try to convince other members to vote for them run for a nomination. Why not? Why is that such a bad thing to get the either most active or, gosh forbid, the best candidate possible? I don't understand why that's such a bad thing. But if you're an Ontario liberal, then no, we need to have 22 ridings where we have only female candidates. I get it. You want to have more female representation in politics. That's happening all on its own. I mean, I, I realize that they don't realize that, but we actually have the most women in parliament that we've ever had on a national scale. And well, there are lots of prominent women who run for leadership positions provincially and some are successful, some are not. There is still an overwhelming you know, number of men in politics. So I, and I have contended for decades that that's because men seem to be more interested in being involved at the higher levels than women do. I was recently at a political convention and it was about 25% female representation there, which actually is higher than normal. So yeah, I don't think you can try to force, you know, more people into, into certain positions. And this happens in the job market too. You can't force people into positions that they aren't interested in, but go for it. Stephen Del Duca, who of course is the leader of the Ontario liberal party. Good luck to you. Uh, I, I commend you on your wokeness slow clap. All right. Again, what the hell, Ontario? Let's go to the city of Hamilton, which, by the way, is a city where Lewis and I should be right now getting ready to celebrate Grey Cup. But because of different restrictions in Ontario for gatherings and whatnot, and the fact that there's no public events for Grey Cup means that, well, I'm still here in Saskatchewan. In Hamilton, a 17-year-old high school girl was recently fired 
from a hospital cooperative position. So like basically like a learning position where you go and you uh, do a little practicum, little practical skills, learn on the job because she must be interested in nursing or something in a hospital setting. So she was fired from this hospital co-op position because of a social media photo she had taken where she had made the OK symbol. Now, the OK symbol is where you have your index finger to your thumb making a little circle and your other three fingers are in the air. OK, that's cool. She was fired from her co-op position because of the social media posting picture that had her making that OK symbol because that obviously was a racist, white supremacist, white power gesture. You know what else that is? See, I know a sign language and that OK symbol that's the number nine. So I guess every time a deaf person does the number nine, they're a white supremacist as well. Is that the road we want to go on? We want to start canceling deaf people for counting? Maybe that's what she was doing. Do we know that? No, we don't. But we do know she got fired for being a white supremacist because she number nine. <sighs> In Ottawa, our nation's capital, this is on a provincial scale. The school board in Ottawa has an Indigenous Education Advisory Council. Said Indigenous Advisory Council is, is musing aloud if making students sing O Canada at school, O Canada, of course, being our national anthem, that was, whose lyrics were changed by the Trudeau government, by the way, this, this, this advisory council is wondering if making students sing O Canada is distasteful and should be replaced. S yep, I'm pausing to let that sink in, Canada. Is singing your national anthem at school distasteful? And by what should it be replaced? I don't know. Further in Woke Terrio, in Waterloo, the school board in, in Waterloo wants to rename schools that are named for A.R. Kaufman, Edric Egerton Ryerson, and John A. McDonald. I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this because their namesakes have a legacy of racism and systemic oppression. No, no, no. Nothing to do with history. Don't remember the history of this country. Just remember the negatives about it, that these were a bunch of racist bastards and we need to erase their name from the annals of history altogether. Yeah. And there's more. There's one more of what I'll use to wrap up the show. And you're going to love this, Canada. The Public Service Union in Ontario, that is the union that represents government employees, public servants. The union has voted overwhelmingly, it might have even been unanimously, to give two extra days off per year to all members of the union who identify as black and only to those who identify as black. They will get two extra days off per year in addition to their three compassion days that they have and their number of sick days that they have and their vacation days, two extra days off 
to deal with the impact of anti-black racism in Canada. Yeah. So let us show how not racist we are by discriminating against anybody who is not of a certain skin color. Let that one sink in. Now, I have friends who are black and you won't, you'll never convince me that they haven't suffered racism in Canada because, well, they're friends of mine. I've seen it firsthand and I know that it exists, but does giving them two extra days off in a year really make any kind of a difference? Is that, is that what's going to make Canada less racist by giving only one seg segment of our society who happens to have the, in this case, correct skin color, two days off going to fix anything? Is that, is that what's going to cure racism in Canada? Oh, well, you get two days off. It'd be Oprah. You get two days off. You get two days off. You get two days off. Everybody gets two days off. Okay, not you white people, but everybody else gets two days off. Is that, is that going to fix racism in this country? No, we actually have to have, oh, I don't know, the mindset for it. But do carry on, woke Terrio. You are embarrassing me by the day. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up there, Canada. I'm, I'm stunned at what this country is becoming lately. And no, it's not just because of our overreactions with the Wuhan virus. The woke brigade has gone absolutely insane. And we seem to continue to let it happen. And that's what is really driving me insane. But I do thank you for joining us, Canada. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Good night. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.